You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on February 24th, 2019. A reading from the Letter of Paul to the Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I said to the kids, and, uh, and as you can see on the screen, today is World Mission Sunday. And it lines up nicely with our sermon series, because week five of our sermon series, our sermon series is, I am a member. Week five is, I am a missionary. And so today we're going to think about what it means to be a missionary and what it means to carry the gospel uh, both locally and abroad. Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples right before he ascended into heaven, you can read about this in the book of Acts, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what does that mean? These are all kind of geographic places. Who knows where Jerusalem is? You know where, roughly where Jerusalem is over in the Middle East in the country of Israel today? It was the same city back then, uh, just 2,000 years ago. Jerusalem was the city where the disciples lived. It was the city where Jesus was crucified. So Jerusalem was that city. Judea was the surrounding region. It was the, the whole region that we would think of as Israel today, the whole region in which the 12 tribes of Israel lived. Samaria was a part of Judea, but it was a part of Judea where the Samaritans live. And the Samaritans were a group of people that, that worshipped God just a little bit differently. They believed in the same God, but they worshipped God just a little bit differently. And they worshipped God on a different mountain, not in Jerusalem, but on a different mountain. And so the Jews didn't like them, but they were in the same region. And so the Samaria was the region that was, that was nearby, but it was the people that nobody else wants to talk to. So Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you could think of that kind of like uh, Jacksonville, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. That's kind of like northeast Florida up into southern Georgia. And then to the ends of the earth is everywhere else. That's what Jesus called his disciples to do, and that's what he calls us to do as well. We are to be missionaries, both locally and around the world. We are to be his witnesses, people who carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
And so part of what it means to be a Christian, part of what it means to be a member of a church, is to be a missionary, someone who shares the gospel with others. Now, in our vision statement, we see this both at the beginning and at the end. Our vision statement is loving our neighbors and helping them to find God, love God, and share God. So loving our neighbors is a part of mission, and helping our neighbors to share God is a part of mission. It's, it's the cycle. The, the, the end of our discipleship process is commissioning people and sending them out into the world, into our community, as missionaries to tell more people about the gospel of Jesus. Now, when the Anglican Church in North America was being formed, we have this group called the Committee on Catechesis. Catechesis is a, a fancy old word that means something kind of like discipleship. It's, it's teaching people the faith, or as it says in the Great Commission, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And the Committee on Catechesis, as they were getting ready to write the catechism, which is the, the document that sort of shares what the doctrine of the Anglican Church in North America is and, and, and is a tool for teaching people about what the content of the faith is, they recognized that they needed to create this tool to be used in two different ways because there are two different ways that people become disciples. And so the two ways that they recognized were, first of all, liturgical catechesis, or what they call catechesis from the font, And the second was catechetical evangelism, or catechesis from the front porch. Now, by liturgical catechesis, we don't mean the liturgy of the church or teaching people the liturgy of the church. What we mean is that for children who grow up in Christian homes and who are baptized in the church as as very young children or as babies, as Caleb was just a month ago, that is catechesis from the font. It's, it's the children who grow up in the church in Christian families and have an opportunity to maybe even never know a day in their life when they didn't know that Jesus is Lord and when they didn't recognize him as Lord of their lives. And that's a beautiful thing. That's something we want to participate in and, and foster and encourage as Christian families as an, and as a church is this catechesis from the font, making sure that our children grow up knowing about how much God loves them each one of them. But the second form of, of evangelism is catechetical evangelism, or catechesis from the front porch. And this means uh, welcoming people who are outside of Christian families, who maybe grew up in a home that, that didn't recognize Christ, and welcoming them into the family of God, welcoming them into the church. And so if you think of the structure of your own house, you have some people that live in your house, you, your spouse, maybe some children, And then when you welcome people to your house, where do they first come into your house? They come into the house from your front porch, through your front door. And in the early church, they had uh, churches with much larger narthexes than what we have now. Our narthex is that room that you walk into before you come into this room. It's the, the entryway, the foyer of the church. In very old churches, they had some very large narthexes because narthexes were the place where people were taught who were outside of the church. They were taught right there at the front door. They were taught about the content of the faith and given a chance to consider Christ and to accept the gospel uh, into their lives and accept Jesus as, as Lord of their lives. So we want to be a church that does both of those things, raising children in the faith, but also welcoming people from outside the faith to come in and be a part of this family that is the church. And so in our covenant, we say, I will present my children and those I have led to the Lord for baptism and confirmation. We 
present the people that we lead to the Lord, both the children in our families, as well as the people uh, from outside of our families that we've introduced to the Lord, we present them for baptism and confirmation, welcoming them into the fellowship of the church. And that assumes that we're actually doing that. If we're presenting them for baptism and confirmation, it means that we've actually presented the gospel to them first and welcomed them into our fellowship. So let's look at, at both of these things. My Bible will help. Let's look at both of these things. We're going to start in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is uh, Moses' last sermon to his people before he goes up on the mountain and dies. And at the very beginning of Deuteronomy, in chapter 6, he shares a verse of scripture which has come to be known as the Shema. It's a very important scripture in every Jewish household, and a lot of Christian families have taken it to heart too. You're going to recognize it as I read it to you. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. We recognize that because it was what Jesus recognized as the great commandment. We read it every Sunday as a part of our liturgy. It goes on to say, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When he says these commandments, he's talking about the whole law, everything that God has, has taught us, everything that God has commanded of us. And we need to keep this whole law on our hearts. We need to keep it close to us. We need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But not just ourselves. What does it say? It says, and you shall teach these things diligently to your children. You need to pass the faith on to the next generation. Sadly, when we look at the rest of the Old Testament, we see a number of different times when it says, and a generation arose that did not know the Lord and did not know his commandments, and did not walk with the Lord. It only takes one generation. It only takes one generation where the faith isn't passed down to the children to have a godless generation that has no knowledge of Jesus and what he's done for us. It takes one generation. In the Holman Bible Dictionary... It talks a little bit about uh, what this discipleship looked like in the Jewish home, perhaps around the time of Moses, certainly around the time of Jesus. It says the home was considered the first and most effective agency in the education process. And parents were considered the first and most effective uh, teachers of their children. And then it goes on to say that the primary ways of imparting religious knowledge to children were example, imitation, conversation, and stories. Parents could utilize the interest aroused in their children by actual life observances such as Passover and Sabbath to teach them about God. And this is uh, showing that the people were actually just following this instruction that was found in Deuteronomy. When Moses, Moses says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, he actually gives the process by which they should be taught. He says, you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. 
If you think about it, there's really no piece of your life that's outside of those things. People uh, would sit down in their house. Their house was often their place of business. They would live their lives in their house. Their family would be all together. And so when they were sitting in their house doing business or eating their meals or whatever, they were to talk of the Lord. When they walked by the way, when they were traveling to the temple, to the synagogue, to go visit their friends, when you walk by the way, you should talk of these things. When you lie down, when you go to bed at night, you should talk about these things. And when you rise up in the morning, you should talk about these things. They're saying you should talk about these things in every aspect and area of your life. That's how we pass the faith on to our children, by living it out in front of them and by answering their questions as they have questions. The Jewish faith had a wonderful set of tools built in, which were the annual celebrations that they participated in. If you've ever had a chance to observe a Seder, whether it was a Christian Seder or a Jewish Seder, you'll know that the the process of that meal, that symbolic meal, is that the young children in the house ask questions of the older people in the house. And so they ask things like, why is this night different from every other night? And what is this story all about? And in the process of answering these questions year in and year out, the people of Israel were formed into this story that was not just a story from thousands of years ago, it was their story too. And as Christians, we have the opportunity to do that same thing. As we remember these events from the life of Jesus year in and year out, as we remember Christmas and the birth of Jesus, and as we remember Easter and how Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised to new life, we're not just remembering stories from 2,000 years ago, we're remembering our own story the story that interprets each of our individual stories. And by sharing these stories over and over again with our children, we are passing the faith down to them. When we look in the New Testament, at the book of Ephesians, we realize that these things that Moses was saying to the Jewish people were not just for Jewish people, but they apply to us as Christians as well. Paul is teaching the church in Ephesus And he says something that that we're probably all really familiar with. Children, raise your hand if you've heard these words before. You ready? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. If you're a child, have you ever heard that word before? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Yeah? We're all pretty familiar with that one. We're, We're familiar with asking children to obey us as parents. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may have Long life in the land. That's what it promised in the, in the Ten Commandments was you need to honor your father and mother, and it was a commandment that had a promise. So we're all familiar with the fact that children are supposed to obey their parents. Any doubt about that? What we forget is the second part of that teaching. Does anyone know what that is? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a two-way street. It's not just children obey whatever I say. It's children obey because what I'm teaching you is the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What I'm teaching you is the most important thing you could ever know in your whole life. So obey me, follow my example, because what I'm teaching you is something that is more important than anything you're going to learn in school and anything you're going to learn anywhere else. We need to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so we capture this in the values of our church. One of our church's values is family. 
And what we mean by family as a value is not just that family is a good thing, although it is, not just that we should spend time with our families, although we should, but the church is the family of God, and it's made up of many families, each of which is a little church. And so the church, us together, collectively, Good Samaritan Anglican Church, we are one big extended family. And each of our individual families and our individual homes are little churches. So the church is a big family, and the family is a little church. And the family is intended to be the first place we encounter God. We view parents as the primary disciplers of their children, and we encourage regular worship, prayer, and the study of the scriptures in our homes. This is the way the Bible teaches us to pass down the faith to the next generation. And it's the way we teach families in this church to pass down the faith as well. Parents are the primary people responsible for raising and discipling their own children. But here's the thing for everybody else. If you don't have small children in your house, parents are not alone in this. They are to do that with the support of their extended family, which is the church. We're to support one another and to surround the parents, teaching them how to disciple their children and giving them a network of other adults to provide a second witness to the things that they're teaching their children. In the Old Testament, it commands that no one is to be accused without at least two witnesses of the thing that they've done. So you couldn't stone someone unless at least two people had witnessed it and could testify it, testify to it. A second witness is important. It verifies the truth of the claim. And so as children grow up in their house, and as their parents share these things with them, there may come a time when they're 10 or 11 or 12 or 14 or 16 years old or 18 years old, where they say, this stuff my parents have been teaching me, do I believe it? Is it true? Do other people believe this too? And that's where the church can be so helpful. Because the church has a whole network of grandparents, grandmothers, grandfathers, aunts and uncles in the faith who can come alongside parents and help disciple these children and say, your parents aren't crazy. I believe this stuff too. It's the truth. And it's truth for your life. And you will do well to apply it to your life. This, uh, yesterday, I spent the day with three others from our church going to Georgia uh, for diocesan training in something called Engage, which is a new method, a new technique. It's really an old method and technique, but it's a new method and technique for youth ministry that's based not so much on programs, not so much on flashy events, but on discipleship. I think the sad thing is a lot of people, if, we, if, if there was someone who needed to grow in their faith, and I said to you, could you just uh, take so-and-so out to lunch a couple times a week, or you know, once a week for, for maybe a couple of months, and just disciple them. Would you feel comfortable doing that? Do you know what I mean when I ask you to do that? Unfortunately, our tradition has not been very good at teaching people how to disciple other people. But it's really not that hard. And so this method they were teaching us is really just basic discipleship. You ready? It's just three things. How many of you know how to have a conversation with somebody? Okay, that's most of you. So you're already qualified on point one. Point one is talk to the person, okay? How many of you have read and know how to study the Bible? Yeah? 
Good, most of you? Good, good. Okay, you're qualified on point number two, because point number two is you spend time reading and studying the Bible with this person that you're discipling. And then, how many of you know how to pray and could pray for someone? Well, you're all qualified then, because point three is you pray for the person. That's all discipleship really is. Sitting down with someone, talking to them, reading the Bible with them, and helping apply it to their life, and then praying for them. And this is a tool that we can use to help parents as they disciple their children by, uh, with their permission, taking their child and uh, having coffee with them at Starbucks or sharing a hamburger with them at McDonald's and doing those three simple things, talking to them, reading the Bible with them, and praying for them. This is something I want to see us start to employ in our church. But it's not just for kids, because this is something that we can all use with each other. It's a simple method of discipling and growing in your faith. And all of us could use this in our lives. All of us could benefit from being discipled by someone in this way. And all of us should be discipling others in this way. So that's what it means when we talk about catechism from the font and raising children in the church. Whether or not you have children at home, it's important to practice your faith in your daily life. To not just compartmentalize religion and Jesus and church as something you do for this hour and a half on Sunday, but that is something that carries on through the rest of your week. This is, this is sort of a place to get your batteries recharged so that you're ready to do the same things all throughout the week, worshiping and praying and studying scripture. George Herbert, who was a, an Anglican poet from a couple hundred years ago, said, seven whole days, not one in seven, I will praise thee. And that's how we should frame our lives. Not one day, Sunday, as the day to praise the Lord, but every day as a day to praise the Lord. Now let's talk about from the front porch, evangelism. Another one of our values as a church is outreach. And what we mean by outreach is that as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ among our families, friends, neighbors, and co-workers. It's our responsibility and privilege to be laborers in the Lord's harvest, introducing people to God and drawing them into the fellowship of the church and equipping them to reach Christian maturity and share their faith with others. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who lives in a foreign country and is a representative of their own country to the people and the government of that foreign country. So the United States has ambassadors in countries all over the world. The ambassador to France would go and live in France and would be the representative of the United States to the people and government of France. The U.S. ambassador to Uganda would live in Uganda and would be the U.S. representative to the people and government of Uganda. What does it mean for us to be ambassadors of Christ? What it means is that this world is not truly our home. And what it means is that America, as much as we love America, is not truly our country because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And so we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, of the reign and rule of Christ in this world, into our world, among all the people that we meet, to the people and governments of this world, we are ambassadors of God's kingdom. And so, as ambassadors, it's our responsibility and privilege to share the gospel with others. And you can do that actually just using those three same things that we just talked about for youth ministry, talking to people, studying the scriptures with them, and praying for them. 
We may not all have the spiritual gift of evangelism. That's something that we use often as an excuse for not evangelizing. We say, I'm not like Billy Graham. I'm not an evangelist. I can't speak to a stadium full of people and have them fall on their knees and worship Jesus. I, I just don't have that gift. So I'm off the hook, right? Well, no, you're not, actually. We're not off the hook because even those of us who don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism are still called to participate in the work of evangelism. We might not do it to stadiums full of people, but we all do it in our own way among our families, friends, neighbors, and coworkers. But evangelism doesn't have to be scary. So often we bring to mind images of knocking on strangers' doors and saying, do you know Jesus? Or uh, standing on a street corner and handing out tracts. And while those are effective methods of evangelism that people have used and employed, they aren't the only ways to share the gospel with someone else. They aren't even necessarily the most effective ways to share the gospel with someone else. Michael Frost is a a pastor in America who wrote a, a really good short book on accessible evangelism called Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. And what he does in this book is he, he breaks it down into five simple things, five simple habits that every Christian can do that will help them to share Christ with the world. And he uses the acronym BELLS to, uh, to help us remember what these five things are. So BELLS. First, bless. Bless others some of whom are not Christians. We can practice blessing one another in the church. We can share words of encouragement with one another. We can buy small gifts for one another. We can show appreciation to one another. We can bless through acts of service. We can practice that on our friends in the church and in our families, but we should also be doing those same things with people who are not a part of a church. So, All of us can share words of encouragement. All of us can can do small acts of service to bless others. Number two is eat. Who knows how to eat? Good, yeah. Who likes to eat? Good, yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Eat is something we can all do. And eat is a missional habit when we do it with people who aren't Christians. And so the second missional habit is simply to eat with other people. We can get into a rut of just sitting down and eating our meals at home by ourselves or with our families, but if we make it intentional to go and eat with people who are not in our families, some of whom are not Christians, eating becomes an effective way to build relationships and earn the right to to be able to share the gospel in someone's life. Jesus was accused all the time of being a glutton and a drunkard. Why? Because he was always eating with people. It was a core piece of his mission technique. And so when we eat with people, and when we keep our ears open, listening for their spiritual questions, we have an opportunity to share Christ with them. So we bless, we eat, then we listen. We listen for the Holy Spirit's voice. It's just a a practice on top of the praying that we already do, which often mostly consists of talking to God. We stop and we take time to listen to God as well and ask him, where are you sending me? Who do you want me to be in touch with? Who do you want me to bless this week? Who do you want me to eat with this week? And then the second L is learn. Learn Christ. To be able to introduce someone to Jesus, we have to know him ourselves. And so the the fourth habit is to simply spend time learning Christ, reading the scriptures, reading books about Jesus, watching movies about Jesus, listening to podcasts about Jesus, listening to sermons, 
getting ourselves as familiar with Jesus as possible so that we are able to share Jesus with others. And then finally, sent. Bless, eat, listen, learn, and sent. I know it's not a verb, it's an adjective, but it's the last word anyway. Sent. What does it mean to be sent? It means that all of us have been sent by God with a mission. And so the fifth missional habit is simply to recognize what God has already made you to be and who he's, uh, what he's called you to do. So each of us as Christians are people who are sent by God with a mission. In the passage we read from Romans today, it says this, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of, in whom they have never heard? It's really easy for us to, to sort of step back and, and, uh, and look down on our culture around us and say, our culture is so far from God. Our culture doesn't listen to the, what the Bible says anymore. Our culture is just such a bad place, full of all kinds of bad people. But how many of those people have actually had the opportunity to hear about Jesus? It's actually a lot fewer people than you would think. A generation ago, you could assume that people knew the basic stories of the Bible and the basic content of the gospel, but you can't assume that anymore. Our culture is a place that doesn't recognize Christ any longer. And so we can't complain about our culture if we're not introducing our culture to Jesus. How are they to believe unless someone tells them about Jesus? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Someone telling them about it? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? The church, one of the big roles of the church is to send people. To send each of you out each week. To send missionaries around the world to preach the gospel. Some churches actually have a sign in their parking lot right next to where people drive out of the parking lot and get onto the road. And it says, you are entering the mission field. And that's true. You could put it on the back door of the church. You could put it in the parking lot. You could put it in your car. But when you leave this place, this is a mission outpost. When you leave this place, you should be refreshed and recharged and ready to go out into the mission field as people who are sent. And as the church, it is our responsibility to send you and to send missionaries around the world. One of the, the major mission organizations for the Anglican Church in North America is SAMS. S-A-M-S. -S. And that's always been an acronym, but they, they changed what the acronym meant a couple years ago. The acronym used to mean South American Missionary Society. And that's good. It's good to reach out with missionaries into South America. But they had realized that they had become a global organization that was sending people to Asia and to Africa as well. And so they renamed themselves the Society of Anglican Missionaries and Senders. And so it's not just a missionary society that, sends, that, that supports missionaries. It's not just about the missionaries. It's about the missionaries and the senders. We have an important role to play in sending missionaries, both in financial support, but also in prayer support. And we're going to hear from some of our missionaries in just a moment in a video that I'll show you. So our covenant, point 14, says, I will devote myself to the ministry of Christ among those who don't know him, utilizing the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives me for the effective extension of Christ's kingdom. 
Each of you has gifts that have been given to you by the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of those gifts is to build up God's kingdom. Each of you has an important role to play. Each of you is one who is sent. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said, but the laborers are few. You have been sent by Christ with a mission. So where is God sending you this week? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gospel by which we are saved. And we pray, Lord, for the work of missionaries and evangelists around the world as they share your word, your gospel, with people who don't know you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to identify ourselves as missionaries, as people who are sent with a mission from you. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see the people in our lives that you're calling us to share the gospel with, and that you would prepare their hearts to receive it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.